From the School of Broadcast and Cinematic Arts at Central Michigan University, welcome to Depth of Field, a podcast highlighting the careers, experiences, and accomplishments of our broadcast and cinematic arts graduates. I'm your host, Patty Williamson. Join me as I chat with media pros who reflect on their time at CMU, their lives and careers after graduation. Along the way, they'll share advice they have for anyone looking to work in a wide variety of media fields. And that's why we call it Depth of Field. Joining me today is Jason Antonevich. He's from the class of 2009 from the School of Broadcast and Cinematic Arts at CMU. Jason is now a game show producer, and he works on a variety of different game shows that you have probably watched on TV yourself. Hey, Jason, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. And by the way, you you earned your doctor title by being able to pronounce Antonovich correctly on the first try. You know, you, <laughs> you you had a run up at it like a like a pole vaulter and you got over it. And I appreciate it very, 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 very much. Thank you so much. You know, it's it's been a few years since yeah. you've been kicking around more hall, but I <laughs> I had some idea of how to pronounce it. Thank you. So I remember when you were a student here, you actually produced a game show on MHTV, our student-run TV station. Have you pretty much had your heart set on working in game shows from day one? Yeah, yeah. You, uh, probably year two of my life, <laughs> probably as far back as that goes. I really, you know, I don't, I don't know if I had a direct idea of what I wanted to do, but I've just been sort of obsessed with game shows forever. Uh, you know, Wheel of Fortune taught me how to read when I was two. That's why I say two years old. Uh, and then from there, I just never let go of it. I checked out books in the library about it, uh, you know, taped them voraciously in a VCR to age myself. And uh, yeah, I just hung around it enough and, and gravitated towards every opportunity in that direction. While you were at CMU, what were some of the things you did to help you make that a realistic career goal? Well, I mean, as you mentioned, uh, uh, the show MHTV Live was uh, set up. There were flyers around, I'm sure. And uh, I went to a meeting about it. And there was this big old chunk in the middle to do a game show. And I just, you know, pounced on it. And uh, that ended up being my thing for three semesters in 15 different episodes. And that was probably the most direct thing. But of course, you know, there's all the broadcast experience. You know, I ended up doing News Central and the radio for a while. So all of that is, you know, training and trying to just talk and make sure something comes out, uh, you know, before either the song starts or your time runs out for a news report. So then doing the show was kind of the meeting of all of those worlds. Do you still use some of the skills from those days with the work that you're doing now? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, by, by the end of, you know, I started it on the MHTV live TV show as quote unquote, just the host and producer of the game show thing to eventually producing the whole show and being able to sort of problem solve with the team quickly is crucial and paramount to what I do. I have since ended up being a head writer of several game shows since then. And just being, that was enough of a training ground to sort of know how you're communicating with people and, and delegating in general and trusting in others and managing a team. So yeah, very, very much so that comes up all the time. So let's talk a little bit more about what you're doing now. What are some of the game shows that you're working on right now? Cause I feel like you spread yourself sort of thin. You seem to be <laughs> working on several shows at once. Yeah, uh, it, it, it would appear that way to the uh, casual observer. So, I mean, you know, 
it generally a, a show commitment is about 10 to 12 weeks of work and then you see it on the air for much longer we're sort of lucky in game shows that we can do five or six episodes a day in the studio which has made us sort of pandemic proof and pandemic positive because you know we can turn out months and months of programming in days so i'd say i do about three to four tv shows a year and then i've been very lucky in that i've also worked on all the um app products for sony's game shows for the past five or six years so the you know everything if you've ever played something to do with jeopardy wheel of fortune who wants to be a millionaire hundred thousand dollar pyramid i've had something to do with it at some point so uh it spreads uh, myself thin maybe but i've always had kind of a high bandwidth for this sort of thing i if, if i wasn't working on it i'd be doing it for a party i'd be doing it for friends i'd be doing it for myself so i've always been interested in creating games in puzzles and things of that nature so yeah probably again to the casual observer it seems like it's it's a lot but you know it's pointed periods of work very very hard work and then weeks of lunch meetings and coffees <laughs> So what was your first job out of school? How did you start this trajectory to working professionally in game shows? Well, uh, that I, I always like to kind of tell this part of it because I think it's probably the most, uh, for lack of a better term, inspiring part of it to anyone who might be a student now. Uh, I was, you know, I graduated in 2009 and by the summer of 2010, you know, I was interviewing around Michigan. Uh, you know, I, I interviewed at a radio station in Wausau, Wisconsin. I interviewed at radio stations in Lansing and probably East Lansing, technically. And I was working as a cashier at a duty-free store near the Canadian border. And at one point, I just so happened to be getting a, a haircut. And the woman giving me a haircut said, uh, so what are you going to do next? I said, well, I want to eventually uh, go to Los Angeles and work in game shows. She, she said, why don't you? And I had no real good answer for her. So I, I called up people from CMU, I just who were already out in Los Angeles. I said, hey, if I were to crash on your couch for a week while I look for a job, would that be okay? And they said, sure. I put in my two weeks notice the next day. Uh, and then I just drove out there and stayed on someone's couch for a while. And then, you know, got an apartment in a few days. And got. I always say I drove in on a Thursday and was working by Sunday uh, because Another CMU connection got me a job on Let's Make a Deal. That was the very first show I did when I got out there. They had just moved from Las Vegas to Los Angeles, and they were in a period of transition where their staff was relocating, so they were missing some people you know, for their first week of taping. So I was a production assistant for the week, and then the week following, another CMU grad had a, a week of testing stunts for the show Minute to Win It that Guy Fieri hosted around that time. So I did that for a week. And then it, it was just one of those things that sort of slowly snowballed from there. The good news is, you know, at least in game shows specifically, it's such a small circle that once you know and impress the right people, I mean, you just, you, you can't stop working. What did you do that helped to propel you to so much success in the field? I mean, I, I, there's the thing that uh, I think it's Malcolm Gladwell wrote this book called Outliers that says once you get your 10,000 hours of practice in something, you know, you, you kind of reach excellence or however he put it. Uh, you know, I've been literally doing that forever. Uh, you know, some of the things we do, for instance, I used to, or I still do, I still host Family Feud for my family every Christmas. And that was a lesson in producing too, because, you know, I would pull these questions from the different home games or whatever. And put them in an order and you know we call that stacking in game shows where you're taking all the question material at your fingertips and stacking a show out of it uh so your specific question was 
What is it that made you stand out that you Uh, were able to kind of go from production assistant to producer? The thing I think that made me stand out is I knew what I was talking about. I I knew game shows backwards and forwards. And in addition, because I kind of came from the bottom up, I also saw all of production from the bottom up. Uh, So you know, I, I was, I knew what a key light was from central, you know, so I could talk to that department. You know, I literally, one of my first jobs was having to distribute the game material and scripts across the entire set. So I knew enough about everybody's job that I wasn't, you know, speaking a foreign tongue to them when I went to them, you know, I knew somewhat of what they did and I knew about game shows and stuff like that. So uh, I think it was a combination of you know, a willingness to do anything, a work ethic, but also a built-in knowledge and sort of practice on my own that sort of combined at the right time to to get me my first writing job eventually and then subsequent writing jobs. And then those writing jobs bred uh, later head writing jobs and other opportunities along the way. So it's probably, it's it's definitely a lot of just being there and that doesn't sound all that great, but it, it really is. If you're, if you're around and you're on the bench and they need something, you're there to be called off the bench and do anything. And then once you prove yourself there, it's again, hard to step out in a good way. Once you impress once, uh, it's hard to lose that currency. I'm really curious to hear more about what a writing job for a game show entails. I think when we think (laughs) about writing for TV, we think of more long form narrative programming. So are you writing questions? Are you writing the scripts for the hosts? Is it a little bit of everything? It's definitely a little bit of everything. I, uh, namely, most game show writing jobs are going to be writing the questions. So it's literally just absorbing the world around you and thinking how it could be turned into anything. Uh, j- just for instance, you know, I'm working on a, another board game for Jeopardy. So I'm reading Time Magazine. Uh, I'm, you know, reading everything. And you think, you know, that's a jumping off point for something. So th- that's a big part of it. You're literally just taking everything around you and making it into a question, whatever uh, that entails for that particular show. As far as everything else you write for game shows, I ended up being a guy who writes a lot of the, what we call a shell script, which is just all that rules copy that comes between the game. That's always the funniest part about seeing a game show script because there's inevitably going to be a page that says play game. And that's all it says, but there's a lot uh, to be said for uh, how you explain the show in a way that is easy to say for any host or in his or her voice. And then in a way that the audience understands if it doesn't get bored. So that's a big part of it too. And then here and there, I've, I've been lucky enough, but I've never called myself comedian to write jokes sometimes for these shows, just things that are funny to be said anywhere in the show. But generally speaking, it's questions first, rule second, jokes, distant third. So you started with Let's Make a Deal and Minute Mm. to Win It. What other shows did you work on from there out? Uh, We did a count just this last summer because I made a joke about it. And I think I'm now up to like 27 different shows. Uh, So in that first year, it was uh, One Versus 100 on Game Show Network, uh, Scrabble Showdown for Discovery Family and The Game of Life for Discovery Family, which were both board game adaptations. Uh, and then I kind of I kept myself grounded for a while. I was at a company called Nash Entertainment producing video clip shows for, you know, a year and a half, two years, uh, which was not game shows, but again, was a great uh, education from there about just television and general production stuff, which again, was an asset later on. Uh, but then since then, ABC got Match Game, Card Sharks, Pressure Luck. I did The Wall for NBC. I did... Uh, Idiot Test for GSN, America Says, and Tug of Words for GSN. 
and always uh, pilots and projects in between. Uh, you know, there was a show called Eyewitness that was on for like six weeks and was tested in a number of markets, including Detroit. So it's a large number, but it, it's somewhere in the uh, 26, 27 range. Those are probably the big ones you've heard of other than Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune app stuff, as I mentioned. Do you find that you're able to work on some of the shows that you grew up watching and that sort of made you love game shows? Yeah, that, that part is very, very uh, unexpected and heartwarming. Uh, you know, in the seventh grade, they they found out I liked game shows and they turned over the the class period to me for an hour, like at the end of, you know, semesters or marking periods or whatever they call them in your jurisdiction. Uh, they used to turn it over to me to just host game shows. And, you know, so there's video of me, uh, you know, 21 years ago hosting Match Game. And then I ended up working on Match Game for four years uh, in in prime time. So it was, uh, things like that always happen. I, I played Jeopardy voraciously with my uh, brother and father growing up. And then I got to work on uh, that show or, you know, it's board games and stuff like that. So it it, it happened a lot of times. The, one, the only one I miffed I missed was uh, Double Dare. I did get a call about that when it came back in Nickelodeon. I was big into that show as well and uh, did not get to do it. But yeah, for, it, there's a lot of weird crossover where I either built something in my garage to do it as a kid and then I get to work on the actual show to the point that, you know, my bosses playfully got sick of me bringing it up. It's like, oh, what was this show? Your uncle's favorite? They, they sort of knew that was my my claim to fame. <laughs> One of my all-time favorite game shows was the original Match Game. And you've worked on the remake with Alec Baldwin as mm -hmm. the host. How difficult is that to bring back sort of a classic game show that hasn't been around for a little while, introducing it to a new audience? Well, I, I think th the good news is it's relatively simple. And I think all the good game shows are, you know, the, the big driving force at ABC for all of that sort of bringing back the, the things from the past for a modern age is a guy named Robert Mills. And without him, there wouldn't be this big influx of that going on. He in particular, and then a lot of the people who own these properties like Fremantle and then Sony who did Pyramid and everything like that, uh, they know what DNA needs to stay in it. And so the good news is you have all that that uh, backlog of material to uh, you know sort of research and say, here's how the show was done then. Then you can triangulate that with how you do it now. So was it that difficult? No, because at least luckily now they know that, you know, for a period in the 90s, they were trying to reinvent these things for a new generation. But now they know that the real core of it is what we should be building off of. And now with new personalities and new technology, we can take it off from there. So I wouldn't say it was uh, difficult now because I got past that period where they were trying to change what these things were. It's like trying to, you know, reorchestrate let it be when you could just do a good cover of it later on uh, but then we were also finding our way as we did it for years about you know what people knew and didn't know i'd say the biggest difference between then and now is these shows are on five days a week for years and years and years and now like you said they've been off for a while so people have to relearn that half of it how to play the game well so we had to adjust our writing appropriately and our approach to it and it probably was for the better uh we we just, you know, got into an economy of words and things that were, I don't want to say dumbed down or easier to understand. We just um, found a rhythm that was working now that couldn't work then. So yeah, that, that was satisfying to find and develop over uh, seasons. What would you say, in your opinion, are the basics of a good game show? The absolute basic thing, I think, is to start with a good game. I know that sounds silly, but there are a lot of, the, some of the best shows should play well in your living room. It should be just as fun to do there for no money. 
and not every show. Certainly there, there's uh, something to be said for winning a million dollars on a game show and all that stuff. But a lot of them start from there. And one of the hallmarks they also like to point out is getting the viewer at home to yell back at the TV and want to play along and feel engaged with it. So those are probably the two big, big ones, I think. Uh, you know, they should be fun. I, it's it's I, I always think the real long running ones are the ones with a, a simple, relatable premise that are just fun. There are some that that were sort of exploitative and some that were, you know, very, very drama filled. I don't know that people necessarily want sort of that anxiety when they're watching a game show. So th that would be my personal recipe. And I think it's borne out by what's stuck around and become big hits and which are kind of flash in the pan things. So it sounds like you're in pretty high demand for the work that you do as a producer. Have you ever turned down work that you just weren't comfortable with? Uh, it's not often um, I, I would turn down something for that reason. Luckily, uh, I, I don't get asked to do a lot of stuff I wouldn't like to do because it, it's again, I, I've developed a, a rather pr a clear picture of who I am. So the number one reason I end up having to turn something down is due to timing. I just recently had to uh, turn something down because uh, I was lucky enough to do a pilot for a show that should go on for months and weeks and years potentially. And in the meantime, while I'm waiting to see what happens with that, I get calls for other things in between. And so that's that's always sort of the freelancer's dilemma out here is just trying to pick and choose as best you can. You don't want to pick something that, you know, has a eight week commitment to turn down something that has a 26 week commitment. And that's in the pre-production stages, forget how much it's going to air. So no, luckily, uh, people know that I'm the uh, traditional game show guy and I haven't been asked to do too much uh, reality shows or anything in that nature. Not that I would... Uh, necessarily turn them down but i think people see your resume and luckily i've done so many different games i don't really get typecast any farther than i am a game show producer and not just a question and answer guy or vice versa just a joke guy do you feel that there are plenty of opportunities in the world of game shows if you're talking to students today would you encourage them to go into the field yeah i think it's it's a double-edged sword there are there are maybe not tons of opportunities by sheer number a year. However, it's it's such a small field that if you have a genuine interest in it and you have a talent for it, then you can stay in it for as long as you want. Most of the people I do shows with are people I've done probably half of the shows with that I've done in my life. And we all you know, sort of speak the same language and know the same people. So it's pretty hard to find somebody that I at least don't know and in these days didn't work with. So in that sense, if it's something someone has an interest in, I encourage them to start pursuing it because that will be seen by the people doing the, the hiring and it'll, it should come through in your enthusiasm for it. And from what you said, it sounds like there are some CMU and BCA folks out there already kind of doing what you do. Boy, it, it, that is the one that still surprises me to this day, how much it uh, you, you say Central Michigan and there's enough people that know what you're talking about. Uh, the, the big ones I'd mentioned uh, other than myself is a guy named uh, Ryan Hopak, who's been doing uh, writing for years. Uh, there's Scott Robinson, who was on The Price is Right for years, uh, made lots of appearances on camera with Drew Carey because he came around at that Bob Barker, Drew Carey transition. And now he's similarly in demand for working on shows in various capacities. And then there's uh, John Quinn, who is the current executive producer of Let's Make a Deal, but is also just got a huge, huge, huge resume behind him. Yeah, that's sort of amazing to hear. Uh, who knew that you guys were breeding a the tomorrow's game show people 
uh, yesterday. Uh, that's uh, probably the tip of the iceberg. I know I'm, I'm sure, well, I know I'm leaving out other names, but I, you know, this, I don't know. This is who do I remember podcast. I don't <laughs> think that was the title. So we'll just say BCA is the future of game shows. There you go. So it sounds like it's also an industry that's changing in terms of the technology that goes on behind it. Do you find that game shows are evolving due to technology and perhaps maybe the platforms that people are able to interact with the game shows more? As always, they're developing new ways to do everything. You know, we went from guys behind walls pulling cards to fully realized digital sets where the entire floor can be a game board if you want. So they're always ready to embrace stuff like that. Um, so that does open up things, but more so than anything, I we don't know what uh, streaming is going to do to it. You know, it, game shows have traditionally been the work of, you know, linear over-the-air television. And we shall see. I mean, people seem to like them regardless of where they're airing. So maybe they'll, they'll break through into streaming, uh, but that is going to be the the sort of big test in the years to come because these things have second lives. You know, they, they will be watched on streaming platforms like a Pluto or a Twitch or wherever else are just streaming these 24 hour reruns of if you like American gladiators or the price is right. Hey, here it is on streaming for you. Uh, it remains to be seen if there's a first life for shows there. So that's going to be the, the change that I think we're going to see over the next five to 10 years, perhaps. And do you see a strong future for game shows? I always say, at least for, for me, who is not a voracious sports fan, it's, it's that sort of reality for a different group of people. So I don't think you're going to lessen people's appetite for them. They're just going to have to change how they deliver them. You know, eventually I got to imagine that somewhat of that over the air syndication model that, that has given us wheel of fortune and jeopardy for all these years, right at dinner time And most of our, uh, places in the nation is eventually going to have to change because more and more people are splintered off onto their uh, streaming service. So I don't think the appetite is going to necessarily go down, but it's, you're going to have to find your people in a new way. And I don't know off the top of my head, if there's a way to personify the game show viewer in a way that today's algorithms and social media could find them so easily. It's kind of a Jack and Jill of all trades sort of fan base, you know, for as many people as there are like me, who, you know, treat it like it's Star Trek and know every game show back and forward. There are other people that just like them when they're on. And that's, of course, our core audience, the people who are just watching them sort of passively. So I think it's going to be like the the grout between the tiles of the big tentpole things on streaming. That's where I see it being if someone sees value in it. it I guess whenever I'm asked to predict the future of game shows, it really depends on who's in the higher up positions. If you had asked me in 2015, I'd say, well, you never see them in primetime. Then along came... Uh, ABC ordering that whole summer lineup, and then it changed the whole tide. Then every network, you know, started in private channels, basically saying, we want our version of that success. So if someone finds it on streaming, then then the future is even brighter. I have a feeling that it'll take some time to develop, though. You mentioned that most of the work you do, it's freelance. Is it pretty much a freelance economy now, if you're working in this side of the biz? Yeah, I definitely, if you're working in... Um, in game shows, reality, non-scripted. That is definitely going on because when I first moved here, it was the very end of sort of uh, being the employee of one company that does a bunch of shows. The aforementioned um, Nash Entertainment that I did all those video clip shows for, they would just pull the entire staff from show to show to show. And that was the case back in the glory days, 70s and 80s. You had 
these big packagers like Mark Goodson, Bill Todman, and, and Bob Stewart, who did all these game shows that you've heard of and would just pull their people from show to show to show. I was sort of lucky to be a part of that with Fremantle for a while. I went from match game to, you know, all the shows I mentioned was kind of a pinball move for me there. But in general, they're not in that economy. They're not looking to have people sort of on retainer necessarily. And I don't think it's good for the uh, freelance person, uh, freelance E, I guess, you know, me in that case, because that's where you get your richest experience. That's a, a good piece of advice I always like to uh, put forth is work for as many different people as you can, because they will all hopefully find different ways and different reasons to like you and hire you in the future, because that's essentially where you get your uh, biggest benefit in the future. So it's definitely uh, going to remain probably a freelance economy uh, in this side of it. What are your proudest moments in the industry so far? My number one is probably Match Game itself. Uh, to be able to take a, a show that I enjoyed and loved as a kid uh, so much and then be able to actually be part of it and be trusted with so many different parts of it and get promoted within that, that's probably tops. Anytime I got to see sort of my life experience flourish, uh, that's the proud moments, you know, being able to be uh, comfortable on camera at CMU me meant uh, they would throw me on stage to host rehearsal sometimes. And it's what I thought daunting was not, it was, it was almost the same as being at Moore Hall. It really, really was. It was uh, same, same old equipment around me, same old studio hum. Uh, so that was sort of, you know, a full circle moment for me when you're just standing on a stage and sort of directing traffic with the little headset in your ear and uh, doing the same thing you did for fun, but only for money on a multi-million dollar production. That was pretty pride making. Is there any chance we will see you hosting a game show in the future? <laughs> uh, well, if, uh, you know, Parquet Butter has their own streaming service and they only have a budget to hire me, yes, that may be where you would see me. <laughs> Who knows? I Look, anything can happen. There's been a, uh, famously, there was a, a show, or at least famously among all of us game show people, there was a producer who hosted these run-throughs for a show for Oprah's network at one time. And she just said, you're good at this. You should do the real thing. And that's how he went from sort of being a guy people only knew behind the scenes to just hosting a show everyone saw. So I would never say never, but I wouldn't say anytime soon. I certainly don't have a uh, burgeoning movie career or comedy background behind me that they can uh, build a, a whole marketing campaign around. But certainly uh, I, I would say it's not impossible. <laughs> well, I would love to see it if you can make it happen. Are you working on any ideas for original shows that you might have a different role on? You know, it's interesting. A lot of people say that. I just have personally never been the big idea guy. I, now I have been a key tool in the development of certain shows. You know, someone has this big idea to do X, Y, Z, and I can come up with a structure for that. So I think that's where I would eventually get into that world. Certain friends and colleagues of mine have these big ideas, but they just don't know all the mechanics of how to produce a repeatable game show. And that's sort of the, the biggest thing I think I bring to the table. I'm always the person sort of asking, well, that's great Monday. What do you do Tuesday? Because uh, I've written enough game show material to know how to make quote unquote refillable buckets, you know, things we can do over and over again, because that's the key to any game show is to be able to repeat it. And you know, not only for weeks and weeks in America, but hopefully months and years in other countries. That's where it really starts to make its bread. So have I thought about ideas? Yeah, here and there, but I guess I'm my toughest critic. I think they're all a little too similar. Nothing's come. I, I haven't done my game show magnum opus yet. So I haven't uh, 
had to pitch it to anybody. But I, I think that's the next chapter for me in the coming decade. That was actually going to be my next question is where do you see yourself in the future? What do you see as next for you? Boy, if you had asked me this when I first graduated, I would have thought, well, I, I hope I, I'm still making my bills. But now, you know, when you have enough freelance behind you, you start to realize the phone is going to ring at some point and it, it's going to be fine hanging there. So I think I'll continue to uh, write for and head up the writing team for several shows. Uh, I foresee that just happening on and on and on for the next five years. And then who knows if there ends up being an opening for some new idea that I could perhaps come up with that could happen. But I think I still need to earn some more stripes before that happens. And I'm perfectly content earning them in this very, very fun way. I can't say enough how much I like my job and it is not really a drudgery to go to it every day. In fact, it's just always keeping pen and pencil in the passenger seat of the car or on the nightstand of the bed to just write down any idea that can go on the air. And I'm sure it looks like the rantings of a crazy person, but hey, it's uh, paid the mortgage. So looking back at your time at CMU, what are some of your favorite memories? Well, I will always treasure doing the TV show itself because that was that was like summer camp. That was literally doing everything you'd want to do in one room, you know, and not having uh, sort of the you know, broad network producer influence you have to deal with. There was the benefit of being on a team and working towards it and obviously dealing with notes from faculty advisors. He looks in her direction. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, that was it was just a bunch of freedom. And it was the same with being on the radio. And that's the one that I wish I would have exploited and done more of. I really, really enjoyed knowing that I was literally being heard in cars and there, were, it, there was this direct audience engagement, which we didn't have as much doing the TV show. I, I was lucky enough that people would see me in classes and say, hey, you know, I was up late at midnight and saw you on the TV and I would be somewhat flattered. But the people who called into the radio show, that was uh, very rewarding. So that was probably a, my highlight and regret that I only found it in my last year there, but it was definitely a ton of fun to do that. And another case of more so than the TV show, once you did it, it was out there, it was on the air and it was happening. So that was uh, an excitement I've still not found because I've only worked on a handful of live things in my professional career. So I got to experience that sort of energy of being on the air live and, and reacting to what's happening as it's happening. If you were to speak to students, and maybe they don't want to go into game shows per se, but right. they want to work in the entertainment industry in some way, what would your advice to them be? Well, the big advice is to, I shouldn't, I don't want to say you have to know what you want to do, but you, you should have some idea of what trajectory you want to find yourself on, you know, at least for a time being, as you would with a major or minor, you know, focus on something and and really dive into that. Cause then along the way you might find something else. I know I've even talked to people who were, you know, costume and set designers who became writers and producers because they found something they liked while doing the first job they were in. So the, the big one is, you know, focus basically stay, stay on a track. The other one is really be ready to take on anything, you know, to take as much work as you can. And it sounds cliche, but take the jobs nobody wants because your resilience will be noticed. It, it's, it, I guess it becomes a cliche and a stereotype because it does happen. There will be a day eventually that you will be called upon to do something that is above your pay grade. And once you impress, you will now be at that pay grade. So it's perseverance because for the first few years I was here, I didn't necessarily 
see how one could really make a living at this, but that's why you have to start somewhere. So that's my best advice is just really to give it a shot and not turn a lot down. I have been talking to a few of our grads who are out in LA now working in different capacities. And it always seems like it's a little difficult making that transition to a big city and LA in particular. And you just mentioned that the first couple of years were rough. What should people expect if they are moving from, say, Michigan to L.A.? Well, for most people, it's probably get ready to have roommates again. Uh, if you're over that whole thing from college, you're probably going to need them. I have some money in the bank. Definitely. I was very fortunate in that I was working regular jobs, quote unquote, in Michigan and socking away money. And that would be something you definitely should have to do. The other big key to that is to be a good budgeter. You got to get ahead of yourself and know exactly what your nut is to crack for the month. That is what what you need to live at a basic level, all of your bills for the month, and just get ahead of that. That was something that I had not really been taught to do in high school, and I learned it very, very quickly. And I almost literally uh, had sort of like almost a countdown calendar to know like, well, I have eight weeks of money left, and then I'd get some more work. Okay, now it's 10 weeks of money, and you just constantly be running the numbers. And then to the point where now I don't have to do that near as much, probably as much as just the regular person does. So that is the biggest transition if you aren't doing it already is to save money and mind your money because you'll, you'll be fine. I think ultimately, if you've got enough drive and connections, but mostly drive, a lot of people do respond to a hard worker, but connections don't hurt. So I don't know if I should ask you this, but mm -hmm. do you have a favorite show that you've worked on? Well, we've already mentioned it a bunch of times. It's Match Game. But in, in my top three, uh, which I'm always shuffling around, uh, there was, they made a game show version of the YouTube show Hot Ones, where, you know, on the YouTube show, celebrities interview with the host and have to eat very, very spicy wings while they're talking to him. We made a game show version of that. And similar to something I've already said, it was like summer camp in the sense that we all were flown to Atlanta to do it. We were all staying in an extended stay hotel to do it. And we were walking distance from the studio, which was on the Turner Complex, which is just, I mean, it is a campus. It's an all-in-one, everything you need there, production facility. And, you know, you'd walk through sets for Inside the NBA and Turner Classic Movies, and here you are in the corner doing your show. It was a great group of people, but everyone was excited about what they were doing. And we developed a show from the ground up. You know, I got in. Uh, it was my first head writer gig, and I, I helped set the tone for what that show is, came up with a lot of parts of what it is, uh, thanks to the groundwork led, led by the people before me, that is the Hot Ones property being brought to the show, my boss who developed it so far, and then the people we were able to hire afterward. You know That had CMU grads on it in addition to me, and we just assembled such a great team for that. That is a sentimental favorite because it was the uh, last show we did in 2019, and then 2020 happened. So I, I always look on that one fondly, secondarily to match game, because that was from zero to 60. I was there for all of it. And we made it happen. Jason, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been great to talk to you. Oh, it's always great to talk to you. I uh, always look, I, I watched some of my uh, CMU stuff in preparation for this, and it brought back all the flood of memories from being there for all those years. And it, it was a, a real unique experience. And I think the broadcasting part of, of CMU is unmatched in the state, maybe even in a lot of parts of the country. 
That's another episode of Depth of Field, a production of the School of Broadcast and Cinematic Arts at Central Michigan University. Thanks to my engineer, Michael Pawarski, and my producer, Allison Biss. I'm Patty Williamson. Thanks for joining us. 